Good morning. Hey, uh, if you guys weren't here last week, so let me just say it this week. Happy New Year, everybody. I am glad that you are here. One of the things that uh, is from my heart to yours is that you would have a desire to grow in your relationship with God and with other people. Uh, that's uh, an assumption in terms of you even being here at a church. And so uh, as a church, we want to try to help and equip you along those ways. But as we talked about last week, if you, if you weren't here, I would really strongly encourage you to listen online. We talked about vision, you know, for what God is kind of doing right now in this place and in the future. And just so we can kind of get on board to, to if this is a place you want to call home, to have just a little bit bigger picture of what God may be doing around in this place. But one of the main things we talked about is that there's a desire for most of us to grow. But to grow is going to require change. But change can be painful, but without change, there isn't growth. And you can look at this in any area of your life. You know, that, that these, if you want to grow, you're going to have to change something. You know, uh, you're going to have to change priorities. You have to change. But it can be painful, which is why a lot of people don't want to change. They say they want to change, don't really want to change. And so we want to try to help you if you want to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. But it's going to require some changes, and some of it may be uncomfortable even painful, but understand if you go through that, you will find yourself growing. Uh, so let me just give you a, a couple challenges this year that I know will help you grow in your relationship with Christ with other people. Uh, the first one would be uh, to pray for and reach out to someone who doesn't yet know Jesus Christ or connected to him. That you would just take a time and say, you know, I'm going to reach out to this family. I'm going to pray for and be willing to reach out to them. Let me give you an example. Uh, uh, some of you guys didn't hear last week. We had over 5,000 people that attended one of our Christmas Eve services. And it's because you invited them. It's because you said, you know, I care. So I'm so encouraged by this because it's already part of your heart and mind. So here's what I encourage you to do. Invite them back. You know, invite them back to be a part of what uh, God may be doing in their lives and how God wants to use you. And as you reach out, watch, you're the one that grows. Uh, the second way is to attend services regularly. As you kick off this new year, maybe a new year's resolution, that you say, you know what, we're going to have vacations, we're going to get sick, and you know, there's going to work schedules, which is why we have a Thursday as well as Sunday morning. You know, to say, you know what, I'm going to make this a priority, and here's what happens. When you have something consistent, it's going to see, you're going to see growth over time. And so we just want to encourage you and your family to make this a priority. Uh, the third way is, I would say, is to, to get into a small group or class. The last two weeks, you know, as you know, we, we handed out, you know, um, uh, these booklets called the Connection Booklet, which just gives you opportunities outside of Sunday morning to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ in relationship with other people. Uh, the reason that's important is you will only grow to a certain extent on Sunday mornings. You just will. You have to be able to rub shoulders with other people with Jesus at the center. And so here are many opportunities. If you didn't get one of these, go to Connecting Point right afterwards. You can grab one of these or talk to the person that's there. They'd love to tell you about an opportunity to get in a group. But here's what I know. We're all busy. And so if you want to grow, I'm just, just saying, here's a way to grow. It's going to require some change, which may create some pain, but you're not going to be able to grow unless you go through some of this change. So I just want to encourage you along those lines as you're thinking about 2018 as we kick this year off. Lastly, is, uh, uh, we want to encourage you to grow just in your own relationship with Jesus Christ through his word. And so last week on the chairs, we gave this Bible reading plan, five ways to connect to God through his word, first by finding somebody else, and then second, walking through this pamphlet together and say, what are some ways we can do that together? And so again, at Connecting Point, if you didn't get this, then grab that. But it's going to require some of you to actually get up maybe 30 minutes earlier to be able to do this which is going to require some change, which may be a little more painful for some of you guys who like to sleep in, you know, and be like, oh, I got to do this. But understand, you're going to grow. So all this is for your benefit in relationship with God and with other people. Now, what I believe that we're going to be talking about 
these first four weeks is going to be foundational for you and your year in relationship with Christ one another. What we're about to head into, you know, uh, is a chance to be impacting your relationships. And I think you'll see it if you hang in there. But here's what I can promise you. For many of you, it's going to require you to do some changing. And some of that changing is going to be painful and you're going to want to resist that. But understand the entire purpose and reason why we're doing this is so that you can grow. So that you can grow. So with that being said, let me start with this. Uh, when I was in college, uh, I had uh, many different classes. One of them was a leadership class. And in the leadership class, Dr. Joe Grana, you know, uh, would have us go to different books and different materials as you would in a lot of different leadership classes you'd taken. Well, it was a fun, it was a dynamic, it was an engaging class, except for one morning, walked in there and the atmosphere was completely different. And, and it quickly realized it was different because at the front of the class, he had a casket that was in front opened. So it's not quite what you would expect as an 18-year-old guy walking into class and seeing an open casket at the front of the, you know, uh, front of the classroom. And it looks a little bit something like that. And uh, so he said, he goes, okay, open up to chapter two. Now, we were in a book called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. And in chapter two, the title of it is Think with the End or Live with the End in Mind. And, and, and he begins to read this exercise coming straight from the book. Imagine you're at a funeral home. You walk down to the front of a packed room to look in the casket, and you see a much older version of yourself staring back at you. What would you want your spouse, child, friend to say about you? And so he was, we read this, and then he says, okay, this is what we're going to do. I want you to think deeply. What do you want people to say about you when you pass away? What is it that you want to be known for? What is it you want that you want to be praised for? And uh, to make it even more intense for us, he had us walk up one at a time and walk by the casket and actually look in. And our shock, there was a mirror at the bottom of the casket. So we looked and we was like, oh, you know, like a little creepy, but it definitely got our attention. You know, absolutely. And I had to go back and I had to think deeply. And what 18-year-old, 19-year-old processes through the end in mind, but it was so transformative to be able to process, okay, if I'm going to live the way that I'm supposed to live, the way that I think I should live, I should probably think with the goal or the end in mind, just like 2018. As we reach next year, 2019, you know, will you be able to look back and say, you know what, here are some things that I was able to accomplish or fulfill or to get through or buy. And so what would you write if you were given that assignment? Because here's what I believe. At our funeral, there's, there is a word that we would all want used to describe our life. And that's the word generous. Now, there might be others. There might be different things that you'd also want said, but I think all of us can agree that generous would be one of those positive attributes we'd love to have said about us. And we can see this played out in society. Now, our society loves stories, loves shows, loves movies, all about generosity. Think about the stories, think about the movies, and you will always see, always see an undertone of someone who's giving of their selves, resources, their talents for the sake of other people. They draw us in. I mean, just the movies that just came to mind as I was feeling this, I was like, pay it forward, all right? Pretty obvious there. It's a Wonderful Life, The Blind Side, Schindler's List, or even Nacho Libre, okay? Any Nacho Libre fans in the house? If you go back and you look, it's not just about a guy with stretchy pants, you know, but it's actually a guy who gives his life away for the sake of other people. So even in humor, we see this played out as well. Now, news stories uh, that we may be reading or watching, whether it be CNN or Fox or any of those types of you know, channels, when it's not all about death and destruction and the world's going to end, uh, when they do go positive, 
more often than not, it always has to do with somebody being generous or someone who's a good Samaritan or someone who did something, and they, they love those kinds of stories. I just saw one uh, on Friday. So I said, you know, that one would be good. On Friday morning, you know, I read uh, an article that talked about how these two waitresses, you know, had uh, won uh, the Powerball and they had won $300,000. And they had agreed to share the winnings, except for one of them took off with the winnings. And so the other one was left with no legal, you know, right to it or whatever it was, you know, whatsoever. And so she was obviously a little disappointed. Well, the reason it became a news story is because there was a guy in California who heard about her plight and decided to write her, let her know that he was going to pay for her and all of her family to fly and experience VIP experience at Disney World. And that it was going to be a hundred percent. You're going to get all your flight pay, all your food, all of it at a VIP level that you're going to remember for the rest of your life. The lady was absolutely blown away by this person's generosity and, and, and even had told him that that was going to be something they were going to do as a family with some of the winnings. So the news agency asked the guy, why did you do this? Here's what he said. Living without giving is not living, the man told the news station. And having the ability to give just makes it so much better. We love stories like that. I see some of you guys begin to smile. Like, how cool would that be to be able to be on the receiving end of something like that? And yet, on the giving end, it's even, it's even greater. This idea of generosity and happiness seem to correlate as psychologists have studied it in our lives. Uh, let's take it a little bit closer to home. We get excited as a church when we announce to you and we will walk through uh, the generosity of our church, especially when it goes to those who are hurting, who are suffering, who are going through trials, you know, temptations or difficulties. And you get excited about that. Here's how I know. On Christmas Eve, and this is the updated, version, the updated amount, Christmas Eve we gave an offering to go to trafficked victims, to go to orphans, to go to widows, to homeless, to go to transitional moms with kids, you know, moving from homelessness you know, to wholeness, all these different, you know, these four or five ministries that we've targeted. And you you were so touched by it, you gave almost $90,000 to that. Isn't that amazing? $90,000. And it's, again, just because people are like, well, that's something I want to give to. I want to be a part of it. In fact, you know, each week through the series, we want to show you, you know, the, the impact and these ministries in which you gave to. So let me just show you one of them for this week. Go ahead and watch the screen with me now. Derek Kedlip with Safe Families for Children. We took an offering during our Christmas service, uh, just an outstanding uh, program that you run there with Safe Families. And uh, we just have a check to present to you. It's kind of kind of fancy as it goes. You know, we wanted you to have the big check, <laughs> but uh, $17,800 wow. for Safe Families. I hope that that'll help you guys, your ministry and all that you do here in Spokane. Oh, God bless you. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. I am very humbled and so blessed of your generosity here at Valley Real Life. Over probably 98% of all of our intake calls to Save Families for Children here in the Spokane area, uh, it's single moms. It's single moms and their children. Uh, we're seeing salvations, we're seeing baptisms, uh, both not only with children, but with moms. It's very relationship oriented, and the whole idea is it is one of the most perfect models of biblical hospitality to care for the most vulnerable, to the least of these and care for the widow and the child. Isn't that awesome? 
So we get excited about that. And it's funny, you might think, well, my just few dollars, and it's just amazing when we do something together and we're thinking about being generous, just what that feels like to us as well as those who are receiving. And you know that this would be want to be said at the end of your life, to be like, that person was so generous with their time. They were so generous. Dad was there for me. He gave to me. You know, he walked alongside me, my ups and downs, you know, for, for, your, for your talents. You know, you were, he gave of, you know, it was abilities to do different things. It was so amazing to experience that, you know, or for your treasures. Now think about the, and the reason, I, let me make one more case in this. Here's how I know this to be true. None of us would want the opposite to be said of us at our funerals. Man, that was just a greedy curmudgeon. That guy, that gal was all about them all the time and everything that they did or said. Even if that statement is true, you still don't want that to be said at your funeral. That's just not something that you would be like, yeah, so good. My family and friends came you know, and shared that with, ev- with everybody, which kind of reminds me of my favorite you know, Christmas movies that accentuates that point is A Christmas Carol, right? The whole Ebenezer Scrooge story the, uh, the idea of a night of redemption is when he realizes that his whole life has been about him, about greeting, hoarding. It's been all about him. And he's so miserable. He's so awful when it comes to his humanity and he gets to face his mortality and that all of a sudden awakens him to living potentially a new path. And then you see at the very end of the movie, there's now cheer. There's now excitement for living. There's now peace. There's now hope. See, I'm not even talking about Christ yet, folks. I'm just talking about general living as if God created us that way, which actually leads us to three questions. There's three questions I want us to answer as we process through this idea of generosity. Number one, where did our longing to be known as generous come from? You know, is it nature? Is it nurture? In other words, uh, did, did, is it because we want to be generous because our moms told us when we were two and three, you got to share, 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 share over and over and over that was finally beat into our heads that that's what we need to do? No, I don't think so. It, it, I think it comes you know, from who we've been created to be. There's a longing inside of us that wants to be generous. In fact, uh, uh, Genesis 1.27 says, so God created human beings in his own image. We all reflect the image of God. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now, the word image in the Hebrew actually means to be made in God's shadow, to be made in his shadow, to reflect him. So God created us to be like him. Now, if you read the entire Bible, what's one verb that, that, that you think of when you think of God? Uh, most of you, if you thought about it for a second, if you read the entire Bible cover to cover, one verb might come to mind would be love. Now, love is always best expressed through generosity, which is why you read in John 3, 16, at his core, God is generous. For this is how God loved the world. He gave. So proof of his love is he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And so we're to reflect his image. So think about this in your own life. When we receive incredible generosity, you ever find yourself wanting to give incredible generosity? I mean, that you're so moved that somebody has done that for you that it compels you to say, you know what, that was amazing. I want to be that kind of person for someone else. I mean, I remember uh, uh, losing our first child to miscarriage. And some of you families have gone through that. And when that happened, we had friends that lived down the street from us, and they called us up and they said, why don't you just come over and hang out? It was in the middle of the week. They had other plans. They had other responsibilities. They put all of those things aside and just spent time with us. They spent the entire day. And we just watched movies. We cried. We hung out. We watched movies. We cried. We hung out. We just did that all day long. And they were so generous with their time. 
And it was so moving for us. And we just started thinking, we want to do that to other people when they go through something like that. Uh, uh, some of you guys are incredibly talented. You know, some of you guys are, are uh, I'll say guys, even men, are, are man's men. You know how to fix things. I don't. I don't want to fix anything. I call you men and make me look bad all the time to fix things in my house. So I'll give you an example. Last year, my snowblower went out. Okay, absolutely. It was an old one. You know, it completely went out. And it was right before the snowstorm happened. And Mr. Sean Sloan here, you know, uh, found, found out. I, was, I put something online. Found, he, and he found out about it. He goes, I can help fix it. He spent hours, you know, of time fixing this old, broken down, shouldn't have been repaired snowblower just in time for the big snow that we had this last year. And I wouldn't have been able to do it on my own. I would have been breaking my back trying to get, you know, that shovel over there when it was, when it was uh, you know, back there. So thank you, Sean, you know, for him using his talents that I don't have and that generosity that he showed. Uh, recently, as you know, we adopted a child. We've mentioned this over and over and over. One of the things, you know, is a gal by the name of Laura Rudhouse decided to come over and partner with Carolina and did a complete home makeover kind of experience in Angelie's room. And so that room is the best room in the house. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't even measure up. I'm like, wow, I walk in there all the time. I mean, those of you who are uh, Chip and Joanna Gaines fans, it has shiplap all over the place. So you know what that means. I don't, but Laura does, and so does Carolina, and they're very, very excited. Again, talented people, you know, giving of themselves, both time and talents, generously compels us as we are receivers of that to want to give that to other people. And don't you feel the same way? See, generosity at its core is a lifestyle, a lifestyle in which we share all that we have are or will ever become as a demonstration of God's love and a response to God's grace. See, when it comes to Jesus giving of himself to us, when we understand, like we talked about on Christmas Eve, that we can't save ourselves, that we're completely dead in our sins and transgressions, and that he freely has given us this gift then it compels us or should compel us to the core of our being to want to be generous because of the generosity of our God. And so when we receive that, we're like, wow, because of what you've done for me, God, I want to live for you. So let me kind of poke at some of you who are followers of Christ. If you are experiencing a lack of generosity, uh, if you're not seeing this in your life, I'm gonna ask you to process this. A lack of generosity in our hearts is directly correlated to a lack of receiving grace from God. Now, you might say, well, wait a minute, Dan, I've accepted Christ. I prayed that prayer. No, no, I believe that. I believe that 100%. But what I also believe, as I observe and I see, is that we still try to earn favor or standing before God even after we prayed the prayer. And when we start living that way, as if my works and what I'm going to do is going to create a good standing with God, although maybe I've accepted Christ, although I'm following him, we begin to still live in this law, works, grace, lack of grace, understanding with God. But when we receive, when we live in that grace... We are compelled, we are compelled to be able to share grace with other people, and you see it everywhere. You know, the most graceful, I mean, the most generous people in our church with their time, talents, and treasures are people who have a deep understanding of the grace of God in their lives. And you see it laid out on, on, you know, all, the, all the way out. Now, you see this play out in, in every area of our life. Think about marriage, right? Uh, uh, if you have two takers instead of two givers in marriage with time, talents, and treasures— how long does that marriage last? It doesn't last a year. You know, it's one of the highest divorce rates is that first year because you got two takers who get together for bad reasons and the other person's not giving to them the way they think they should and they end up in my office, pastor's office, or Molly's office, you know, for a counselor's office. 
Uh, if you have one taker, marriage is really, really hard. Where it's all about them. It's all about them, you know, getting what they can. But when you have two givers, when you have two generous people that are living that way in relationship with one another, it's amazing how generosity affects relationships, affects marriages. And you'll see this in friendships. You'll see this with people at work. You'll see this in all aspects of your life, which is why we wanted to kick off this series this month as we kick off this year. Because we believe that if you become generous, it will affect your relationships. It'll affect your marriage. It'll affect your relationship with your kids. It'll affect your work environment. It'll affect your neighborhood. It'll affect so many areas of your real life if we can get this one right. So let's press in just a little bit more. When we talk about being generous, uh, and I say, we got to be generous with our time, and we give some examples of that, you're like, yeah, I've had people be generous with me at the time. I, I could do that as well. And you're like, preach it, pastor. I'm like, all right, I will. And then we were like, hey, we're going to be present, you know, we got to be generous with our talents. And we talk about Sean, and we talk about other people who are doing some amazing things with their talents. And like, yeah, pastor, I can get on board. Preach it, pastor. And then I said, we got to be generous with our resources. You're like, whoa, pastor, stop. I don't want to hear any more about this, that church, money, finance. All of a sudden, it's a little bit different. Why? Have you ever thought about that? Like, why is it that it is harder to talk about or harder to receive in coming to a church and we actually talk about financial generosity? Hey, the reason that's funny is because, I don't know if you knew this or not, Jesus talks about it just a little bit. Do you realize that 25% of what Jesus has to say in the New Testament has to deal directly or indirectly with possessions or resources, financial. And, and, and so Jesus may know something about us that he wants to unlock for us this morning. So hang in with me. And this goes to question number two. Why does Jesus talk about financial generosity almost more than any other subject? Why is it? See, now it's all quiet in here, and you guys aren't smiling as much as you were when we were talking about some of the other things. This is what happens. It's just interesting to be able to process. Why? Why is that? I think Jesus unlocks it for us. Even if you've heard this before, I want you to hang with me. In Matthew 6, 21, in one verse, he unlocks it all. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. There, wherever your treasure is, there your desires of your heart will also be. Now, treasure in the Greek, which is what the New Testament is written in, means all of your wealth, every cent, and all of your possessions. So I'll make sure you understand. That's exactly what Jesus is talking about. Now, the word heart in the Greek is the center or core of who you are. So it's not just emotions. It's emotions plus what you think of. It's a, the, your entire body, your makeup. So what Jesus is saying is wherever you put your money, there is a string attached. Now, don't miss this. The order of what Jesus says unlocks it all, okay? A lot of people, and I've done this, this as well, like, well, where is your heart? You know, where's your heart? And there you're going to see where you put your money. That is true in most cases. But do you realize that that's not what Jesus said? Jesus says, where you put your treasure, your heart follows along. It's the one aspect that's not related to time or talents that you will see that all of a sudden you begin to give financially to anything. If you didn't care about that thing beforehand, all of a sudden you begin to care for that thing you didn't care about. And this is not a Christian thing. This is a thing thing. This is a human thing. It's interesting that where you put resources, your heart, what you care about, begins to follow where you put your resources. Some people think, I've got to just go put my resources where my heart is. It's funny that it's the other way around, according to Jesus. Now, you might say, wait a minute, Dan, I only spent $4.25 on a cup of coffee this morning. 
My heart's not involved there. Well, let's play that out. What if, for a second, because the amount does make a difference, doesn't it? You know, I spent 10, 10 cents on a gumball here, a dollar here. You're not thinking, well, there, oh, my, my heart's not going all over the place. The amount does make a difference. So let's process this together. Imagine, and this might be hypothetical for some of us in the room, you bought a cup of coffee every day. If you bought a cup of coffee every day at 425, it'd be $1,551.25. Now, where is your heart or string attached? Could it be to Starbucks? Could it be to that coffee shop? Could it be to that place? All of a sudden, when you begin to realize that the amount is there, then all of a sudden you find your heart actually follows where your treasure is put. If you want to change your heart, change where your treasure is going and your heart will follow. Don't miss that. Let me do the most important thing that some of you guys need to hear today. If you want to change your heart, you're going to have to change maybe where your treasure goes, but change is hard. It's painful. But if you want to grow, you're going to have to change if you want to see yourself become who God wants you to be. Now, the reason we talk about all this is I want you to think about the last big purchase that you made a car, a home, whatever it may be. And I saw it in my own life. The last time you know, we got a vehicle, all of a sudden I like, cared a lot more about the vehicle than I ever used to care about before. You know, about, you know, obviously you want to maintain, you want to clean, but I'm like, oh, my heart is becoming attached to that thing. Maybe a little bit more than it probably should. Now, some of you may be able to say the following true statement. Most of my money, Dan, isn't spent on myself. It's spent on bloodsuckers. We call those kids, right? I can take up all the money, right? Where you spend your money, your heart will follow. The more you spend, you know, on the more your heart will follow, and that applies to kids as well. How much do we spend on our kids' sports, activities, college education? Do you notice how much more you care about those things when you start focusing and putting money towards those things? It's fascinating how God created us. Now, I am not saying, don't walk out of here, I'm not saying it's wrong to spend money on our kids, you know, or your car, or your home, I'm not saying any of that. Does Jesus need your money? No, God is loaded, okay? He doesn't need the money, you know, not at all. He wants our hearts, but don't miss this. God will never fully have our hearts until our treasure starts heading toward him. He will never fully have our hearts until our treasure. Now, that's fascinating, because I always grew up thinking, well, well, God, I give you my time. I'm here on Sunday, I give you my talents. I'm even serving and I'm, I'm, I'm following there. Are you saying that I'm not going to go to the level my heart is connected to you until I see the resources that you've given to start going toward? That's what God says. And that's not a Christian thing. You see this in every other area of your real life. It's a heart thing. It's how God kind of wired us. Uh, let me say it this way. Some of you feel far away from God. Uh, and you're followers of Christ. Could one of the reasons that you feel far away from God is because you've never really put your treasure where God is? Nobody's smiling anymore. <laughs> you've given time and talents, but your heart is the link to the treasure. Your heart link is to the treasure. Now, this is where you should be saying to yourself, I knew it. God and the church want something from me once again. Darn it, didn't want to come to this series. No, God wants something for you. Realize that. He wants your heart drawn to his. So this leads actually to our third question. Since these things are true in our lives, why on earth then is it so hard to be generous? Why do we have that kind of impulse or that response when we start talking about financial generosity? Why is it so hard, even with our time and our talents, to give generously? Here's, let me just give you a couple of reasons. Maybe you grew up and you didn't have anything. 
You grew up in a household and situation, whether it was mismanaged by family members, you grew up with nothing. And so now that you have something which is more than nothing, the idea of giving away something is not pleasant. It's painful because you know what it's like to have nothing. Uh, maybe you grew up and somebody told you over and over and over, be wise with your resources, wise with your resources. You've got to take care of your money, take care of your money, take care of your money. And you've held on to that. You've held, you've held that really, really tightly that the thought of being generous actually means a loss of security because you're like, wait a minute. Well, what if I don't have enough for, and you fill in the blank, all of those things lead up to the root. And there's many more of this that I would say between you and I and others is generosity is so hard because of one word. Mine. That's the hard, that's the truth of it all. The, the idea is mine. The Bible clearly states that God is the sole owner of everything. I'm going to let you process this. First Chronicles 29, 11, 12 says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. Everything in the heavens and the earth is yours, O Lord, and this is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who is over all things. Wealth and honor come from you alone, for you rule over everything. Power and might are in your hand, and at your discretion, people are made great and given strength. A simpler way to say that is Psalms 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's, and everything in it, the world and all its people belong to him. Now, you might argue with me and say, but Dan, I have some things in my name. I got a car in my name. I got a house in my name, even though the bank may, may own more of it than I do. I have a check, though, that's written in my name. Deuteronomy 8, 17 says this. You may say to yourself, my power and strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth in the first place. Just reminders of these things. And here's the reality. If you were to embrace this one thing, if you get nothing else out of today, if you get this one thing, that it's not yours, that it all belongs to God, it will dynamically change the way in which you live. Because here's the reality. When something is not mine, I am so much freer to let it go. <laughs> and when, when somebody's like, hey, you want this? Sure, it's not mine. You can have it. You know, I don't care. You know, why do we think in government it's so easy for government to overspend all the time? You know, because it's like, well, well, it's not really mine. I'm just going to give this away. It doesn't matter. You know, I'm sorry to get a little political there. You know, when God is the owner and the source, we become natural givers. It just, it just happens naturally. All of a sudden, if you were to do this exercise, and I'm going to actually give you a chance to do it at the end of our, our time together in the next few moments. If you were to do this exercise and walk around your house and say, not mine, God's. Say, God, this is your car. God, this is your house. God, this is your fly rod. God, these are your kids, praise the Lord, <laughs> right? God, this is your spouse, God. You know, this, all of a sudden you start doing that though. You're like, ooh, if it's your spouse, God, then that means that I'm married to the daughter of a king and that changes things now, doesn't it? See, all of a sudden it changes things when ownership is not mine anymore. You begin to treat things differently and it becomes much more, much freer. And so, you know, when you're driving down the road, you know, you can actually have this happen. You know, one time when you get in an accident, you're sitting on the side of the road like, God, why'd you wreck your car? You know, <laughs> shoot, God, it's your car. You know, I'm sorry about that. You know, it's his. I mean, there's so many things that you're able to do when we do this. It changes everything. Speaking of incredible generosity, many of you heard last week, that we had a family in our church has been touched by what God is doing around here, both inside and outside the church. And, and they want to give a challenge to our congregation. And they said they want to do a matching gift to go toward debt pay down so that we can continue to expand and do what God's calling us to do here and around the world. 
And there's amazing things. So this family said, we want to give a matching gift up to $500,000. And what that means is, is that for some of you in this room, it means above and beyond your normal tithes and offerings for every dollar you give, it now just became two. Talk about a return on investment. For every 10 becomes 20, for every 1,000 becomes two, 10,000 becomes, you know, you know where, where the math goes with this. In fact, this last week, we had $30,000 that came in above and beyond. Now it's 60, all going towards debt paid on in order to continue to expand the kingdom of God. And we're going to call this Waymaker. You know, that God has made a way for us to be a part of what he's doing. And so you can write that in the memo line, you know, of a check or something else along those lines, as God should lead. But here's the thing. Some people get fooled because I heard this last week. Yeah. If I made that much money, I'd be that generous too. It's not true. This is what you got to know. Most of the families that I know that have great resources, they start being generous when they had none. Generosity doesn't start with the amount. It starts with the heart. It starts with saying, you know what? I'm going to give what I can where God is calling me and leading me to give. And I'm going to watch as I find peace, as I find health in relationships, as I find security in him, and it goes on and on and on. And so let me close by asking this question. What do I need to acknowledge God's ownership of? What is it in my life that I need to say, not mine, God's, but yours? What is it? In fact, you know, as you came in today, every other seat should have had one of these on it. It's called a quit claim deed. I never heard of this, so I looked it up this last week. Look it up on Google. It means a complete transfer of ownership. You can find you know, a document on there where you are transferring ownership that was yours to someone else. You can do it very, very quickly you know, with a legalized document. So we said, well, why don't we do that ourselves? What a great practice that sometime today or this week, you, yourself, or your family, your spouse, kids, whatever it may be, is you sit down and say, all right, this, this is what I'm going to make, and here's the day. Put your name in there to God. I he, or we hereby transfer to God the ownership of the following possessions. And you start putting things on there. You start writing down, eh, my car. God, it's your car now. God, it, the house. No, it's your house now. God, my job. That's your job now. God, and you start putting these things down and then you put it somewhere. You sign it at the bottom. Say, God, it's no longer mine anymore. It's yours. And when you recognize ownership, all of a sudden, generosity follows. Here's the reality. Where we put our treasure, our heart follows. Test it out. Take a look at it in your life and see if it's not true. Why don't we pray? Father, thank you so much for today. I pray, Father, that the generosity that you gave to us, that we might be able to receive you. Lord, help us to receive that generosity as the first starting point in our lives. And Father, if there's anybody here who's not yet received you as Lord and Savior, that today would be the day to receive that generous, generous gift of your son. Lord, we love you so much. And I pray, Father, that you would just guide our hearts now. Bring to mind, Lord, areas in which maybe our heart has wandered and wandered and see if, see if there's not some strings attached that has led us that way. Lord, help us to experience the abundant life that you have for us. Help us to experience a life where at the end, people would say of us that we were generous. Help us to live a way that honors you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.